Open your heart, open your mind, and join the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics podcast on a journey to enlightenment. We're returning to the podcast to talk with me about Around the World in a Day. The title and opening track from Prince's seventh album is Farouk Ansari. Welcome back to the show, Farouk. Pleasure to be here again, Jason. Hope you're doing well. I am, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad at all. Thank you very much. Even the, in these troubled times. It's, a, it's an interesting time, but this is a very kind of interesting song. I mean, yes. yeah, Around the World in a Day is what we're talking about today. And we've moved past the Purple Rain era. We're now on to the next thing, just like Prince was wont to do. He liked to move on and not really kind of revisit past glories or even past sounds. And he certainly didn't do that with this album. It's uh, it, it was released in spring of 1985, like immediately after the the Purple Rain tour ended abruptly. I guess Prince had had decided he was done with the tour before it was originally intended to be completed, and he wanted to get this album out and start promoting this this record. And a little bit of housekeeping with Around the World in a Day. It's the it's the first track on the album, as I mentioned. And it's kind of a weird, not really weird, but it's kind of a, a quirky thing Prince would do a lot in the 80s is he would open albums with the title track. Uh, five of Prince's first seven albums contained the title track as the first song. The only ones that didn't were uh, his self-titled album Prince and then Purple Rain. The, the title track was the last song instead of the first song. I don't know, did you ever kind of catch that? Yeah, yeah, uh, and it, it almost seemed like, especially given that this was following, following Purple Rain, um, he was almost linking that last track to this first track, but also there's such a massive discrepancy between, you know, the musical star, because Purple Rain was the biggest, you know, who's the biggest star on earth, number one singles, number one album, number one film, um, and everyone expected him to do like a Michael Jackson, and he came up with this. And th- th- there is that story of where he went into the Warner Brothers office and um, played the album to the execs, and he sat on the floor holding a flower, apparently, mm-hmm. and just watched the blood drain from their faces as they heard the opening notes of this track, which is why I love it so much, actually. Yeah, it's a, it's a total 180. And it's yeah. even more, I find it more interesting because at the time I didn't really have any concept of, you know, uh, uh, release schedules behind albums like the the promotion, the release, the touring, further promotion, singles, the whole structure of how albums were released and promoted and sold. He was not really interested in following that template at all. Around the World in a Day was released less than a year after Purple Rain was. Less than a year after the biggest album of the year, the biggest album in the world at the time. Normally, normally, an artist would milk that for all it's worth because, or at least they would be forced to milk it by their record company and management because uh, it was so successful. He could have toured behind Purple Rain for all of 1985 if he wanted. And uh, he was still... They were still releasing singles off of Purple Rain into 1985. I Would Die For You was released in late 84, but it was still a big hit early in 85. And Take Me With You was the fifth song, and that was released in 1985 proper. So, you know, he could have took the entire 1985 just to tour, just to... You know, uh, take in the adoration from all of his fans and critics about what an accomplishment Purple Rain was from top Absolutely. to bottom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he could have milked it a lot further, but he, um, I don't know, everything I've read about him at this point shows that he just wanted to turn his back on that because yeah. it was such an exhausting tour. And, and actually, you know, it, it, it's kind of... It's shown in so many different Prince songs subsequently that that actually he he kind of reached the top uh, and then realized he didn't really want it and he wanted to do something else and and that is the difference to me like on on a very personal level it's it's one of the reasons I really love Prince is that he was brave enough to actually just stop 
being I mean look at the Rolling Stones Jason mm-hmm. yeah they're like they, they should be retired and gardening right now and they're still coming out with rubbish music but Prince would never have gone down that route and he didn't he was brave enough to actually just forge new paths the whole time and around the world in a day like from the opening notes with the um the instruments he's using yeah yeah the um the the eastern instrumentation the psychedelic lyrics and everyone keeps kind of referencing it with sergeant peppers but actually it's it's on a different level to be honest with you it's um i believe the song was originally written by um was it james melvoin no it was uh david coleman Oh, oh, sorry, Coleman. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, mean, I got, I got the wrong brother. part of um, Lisa and Wendy there, didn't I? And um, he, he then liked it so much, he decided he was going to make it his own, and he adapted the lyrics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it, it's just that the idea that a mainstream artist, like you said, biggest artist in the world, would actually take such a massive tangent and do something that is so off the scale. Is is just you know it, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. So th- like you said, the music was kind of inspired by a demo that David Coleman had recorded in the studio that Prince had um, bas- basically lent him. So around this time, you've got you have the Revolution still together, and then now you're starting to get um, uh, siblings of Wendy and Lisa being involved in some of the recordings. This song in particular, but this whole album is got like a kind of a, a family affair feel to it, where you've got uh, Wendy's twin sister Susanna does some backing vocals on several tracks. You've got um, Wendy's brother, Wend- Wendy and Susanna's brother, Jonathan. He has a part in this song as well. I believe he's credited for with some um, yeah. Yeah. with some instruments. And then you've got Lisa's brother David, who, who really kind of inspired Prince to even record the song to begin with, with with the instrumentation that he created around this music. But but the idea and like where to go with it. So like a cool sound is one thing, but then what to do with that cool sound? How to uh, make that a an entire concept album, which this kind of is in ways, I think. We're not going to talk about the entire album today. We're just here to talk about the song Around the World in a Day. Sure. But it's really kind of like a expanding. I feel like it's expanding on, on Prince's spiritual side that was really coming to, more to the forefront during the Purple Rain era with songs like God and and uh, the, the lyrics behind Let's Go Crazy and I Would Die For You and even Purple Rain. And it's uh, it's taking that now and putting different style of music behind it instead of very rock based um very synth heavy at least with this song it's it's incorporating a lot of like you said middle eastern influences from from a musical standpoint that just yeah yeah completely I mean, makes uh, it sound like nothing else that he's ever done before exactly yeah yeah i totally agree with that and and not only middle eastern but asian as well i mean yeah. uh uh, I remember when I was a kid, and you know when you're a kid and you're like sticking a record on, and your parents are listening to it. And my my mum and dad are from India, originally, and um, they could like totally they totally connected with this because it sounded almost Indian. Yeah. Um, and I know it's like mainly it's kind of more Middle Eastern because they're playing the oud and the dabuka. But at the same time, there's, um, uh, I, I know a lot of people who would never have listened to Prince who were from Asian backgrounds, who when they heard this, just suddenly thought, wow, this is a really innovative artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and for, for me, having grown up listening to a lot of the Beatles, because my mom was a, a big Beatles fan, of course, I, I heard some of like as you mentioned sergeant pepper's influence mm. but prince has never really admitted that the beatles were an influence at all so you know I mean, what i i honestly don't see any beatles influence in anything that prince has ever done yeah yeah the, only, the closest that i ever have heard is maybe like pop life or 
maybe this song. There were some like songs that George Harrison was really pushing at that time and creating like Within Without You. And and some of that maybe totally. I mean I, I think it's much closer to the stuff that Harrison did than the Beatles yeah. did the band. Totally. Yeah. I agree, I agree. Um but yeah, I think the point I'm trying to make is that not just the sound, but some of the, the lyrics kind of suggest like a trip is being taken. Indeed. Like he wants to kind of take us on a trip. And and one can take that to mean a few different things. Of course, there's the, uh, the the drug influence behind that, LSD, taking a trip. You know, you have the connotations that taking a trip means from the, from the 60s, you know, and we mm-hmm. know that a lot of the Beatles music in the late 60s was heavily influenced by the use of LSD and introducing narcotics and psychedelics into their creative process. But I never really felt like that was Prince's thing, you know? Um, even though these lyrics, one could interpret them or misinterpret them as being a song about psychedelic drugs. Have you ever thought of it that way? Really? Yeah, I, I initially actually thought that that was what it was all about. But then having got to know Prince and his music a little bit better, I realize that drugs is maybe an optional extra in this song. So, you know, when it says open your heart, open your mind, the train is leaving all day, that's a broader, to me, that's a broader statement about um, Prince's view on spirituality. But that's that's the interesting thing about this song. Like people who don't really, who maybe haven't studied Prince the way we have, might just quickly toss this as a, Toss us in the pile of a you know prince exploring with psychedelic drugs. But like you said, stuff. LSD, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. W- but... Would be the obvious thing, like uh, like you know, some people interpreting "Yellow Submarine" by the Beatles or something like that. Yes, uh, but but actually, when you look at the lyrics, it's it's more about it is more about that whole unique prince take on the world, which is about spirituality. And it's not necessarily connected with, you know, taking drugs or getting off your head. Um, it's 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 about understanding the universe in a different way. Yeah, and I I think it's very clever um, the use of the title around the world in a day. Um, I mean, of course, I I instantly go to the the Jules Verne novel around the world in eighty days, <laughs> and this is just a take on that. And uh, in, in, in order to take a trip around the world in a day, you know, you, you have to you have to assume that that is all in the mind. Then this is a trip that you're taking in your mind. This is a trip that cannot be physically taken. It's impossible to travel to circumnavigate the entire globe in one day. Exactly. So the only way you can do that is through your mind, through some sort of higher consciousness that you've been able to attain through well i guess the question is through what saying that Prince is wanting to take us. So he says, open your heart, open your mind, a train is leaving all day. So a train implies that we're being taken on a trip, as we already mentioned. Wonderful trip through our time and laughter is all you pay. So we already know off the bat, this is not, this is not your standard uh, um, trip around the world where, you know, you're flying an airplane or taking a boat or a train because those all require some sort of, of monetary compensation for that trip. Here he's just saying laughter is is the only thing you have to pay to be able to go on this trip. So you you get the feeling that it's 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 a happy trip. I mean he uses the word laughter and to imply and to pride and to provoke feelings of of joy, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And and it's also it's um you know it 
has to be taken in. I think more than many Prince albums, it has to be incorporated with the artwork on the album and the whole concept behind it as well. Uh, and it, 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 you know, it's it's kind of a trip, okay. And there's, like you said, there's throwbacks to the '60s, but ultimately, this is about what happens in your mind, which which is a constant reference point for Prince spirituality, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then one of the things that I was thinking about when kind of like contemplating the lyrics of the song and maybe some connections that could be made to either future or past Prince songs, I thought more towards the future when he adopted like the third eye and started singing about third eye like on the truth and then started literally wearing the third eye glasses later in the 2000s around the artificial age era. And that you know, that yeah. ties back to like uh, New Age or Buddhist philosophies about, you know, a gate, using your third eye as a gate to some sort of um, higher consciousness, as I mentioned. And that's that's really like the only way you can interpret these lyrics to not be literal. Like it has to be something else. It can't be literal. You can't look at this literally. It's very cryptic regardless. But, yeah, but that's that's a theme throughout the album, though, isn't it? Yes, I mean, yes, yeah. like, like listen to Paisley Park as well. Paisley Park is in your mind, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the lyrics to that's that's one of my favorite Prince songs, by the way. But that's a different story, and that's probably a different po- podcast. But there is this constant theme about actually, it's almost like Purple Rain was this big showboating thing. Yeah, where him and the revolution were doing stadium rock tours and playing to hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people probably in the the whole, you know, scale of that tour and just selling insane amounts of records. And then he just thought he he retreated inwardly and this whole album, but particularly this track is about that introversion that I think his his clash with fame caused. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like he's retreating a bit away from the spotlight intentionally. Like, okay, he already knows that in order to maintain the status that he had attained from the Purple Rain release and success is to make a very similar sounding album. I mean, that's you know, the, like I said, the template to be used for any successful art is to try to mimic and repeat it and do something very similar so that uh, the fans of that art will be able to relate to what is next. But we already kind of discussed how he completely ignored that template and chose to go a different different direction with this thanks to some um, outside influence, but then also this was all internally, I feel like this was something he was wanting to do anyway, because he was writing songs that would end up on this album before the Purple Rain album was even released. So like he was already writing songs that would end up on Around the World in a Day album before the album, the previous album and movie had even come out yet. So he was even over it before before the release but then once it was released and it blew up i feel like the direction then was cemented probably like this is what i need to do i need to take a completely different direction Uh, i think the interesting thing is how radical that change of direction actually was yeah so from radical you mean just like the sound or the the um the concept behind the lyrics or all the above (laughs) well i i think all of them i mean the sound is innately related to the concept isn't it and to go from the most radio-friendly music that Prince ever did in his life to something that was actually all about what we've been talking about, this kind of psychedelic, obscure, deliberately anti-commercial music. is um, I can't think of many recording artists of that stature who've actually made this world move. And considering that this was the first song on the album, it really like hmm. it was going to elicit a very dramatic response amongst fans. Like they were, well, the song wasn't buried like towards the back end of the album or anything. The back end of the album is filled with all of the really spiritual, overtly spiritual songs. 
And this song mm. is going to, like, if you bought this album expecting Purple Rain 2, you knew from the minute that the, the first notes of, like, that, I don't know if it's a flute or something coming in, but it's, um, yeah. it's obviously it's not. Oot, I believe. Oh, that's what it is? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's made out of a reed. Mm. Okay. Um, so for me, I, I remember listening to this album when it came out because I was such a huge fan of Purple Rain. So I, I really wanted mm -hmm. to buy this record. I was still pretty young. So just buying stuff, you know, on the day of release wasn't really uh, how I was able to to uh, gain new music. I usually had to, um, I don't know if you, if you ever did this or experienced or knew of like the Columbia Music House or BMG record clubs where you could like buy one record at regular price which was usually more expensive than you would at a store but then they'll give you you know like a dozen anywhere between like six to a dozen oh yeah records yeah, for yeah. pennies <laughs> yeah that was the most economical way for me to get music <laughs> um and i got around the world in a day that way it was probably mid to late 1985 and I, I it it was striking. I enjoyed it, but I I wasn't sure what to think about a lot of the songs on this album. A lot of the it more heady songs. One. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I liked it. I also liked the fact that it was nothing like Purple Rain. Um, but at the same time, it was interesting. I don't know what the you know the real time media reaction in the U.S. was, but here it was brutal. It was brutal. Um, I remember, so one of our main radio stations is Radio 1, which is a BBC radio station, right? And it's the, the, the most kind of uh, mainstream one. And it's, it's pretty cool now, but it used to be terrible in the 80s, absolutely appalling. And I remember the first single off the album was Paisley Park. And um, I remember the DJ saying, I'm going to turn this off now because it's torturing the radio to death. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and i Yikes. thought that was bizarre because because it was a great song and uh, I, I love paisley park like i said but yeah at the same time it shows how it changed because the year before these guys were like all over let's go crazy and purple rain and when dust cry well in the in the states raspberry beret was the lead single so we didn't get Paisley Park as a as a single officially, even though I have memories of hearing the song on the radio. So I think radio stations picked it up and played it, yeah. even though it was never released as a single in the States. But Raspberry oh, wow. Beret was the lead single here. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that's a much more, that's the radio-friendly, probably the only radio-friendly track on the album. Truly, yes, yes. Pop Life was a was a pretty decent success. I think it went Pop top Life's ten. Wonderful. That that again is one of my favorite Prince tracks. But um, Raspberry Berets, like almost a perfect pop song, I'd say. Yeah, it's a great song. It's uh, timeless. But this year, it wasn't that the the reaction to this album in the states wasn't that different than what your your experience was in the UK. It was not looked at as a very um, strong album from front to back. It had, mm -hmm. I think the thought was that it had some really great moments like Raspberry Beret, like Pop Life, uh, maybe Paisley Park, if you're a big fan of that song. But I think there was a thought that a lot of, uh, the rest of the music was too, was was a bit more difficult to digest. My, my favorite track on the album is The Ladder. There's there's a line later in the song, in the third verse, that he mentions the ladder. And the lad, there's a ladder on the cover of the album. Like, if you open up the gatefold yeah. and you get the entire photo from front to back, right in the middle, like where the spine is, is a ladder. And this whole concept of the ladder becomes um, kind of an important piece of this album's story searching yeah. for the ladder and oh and yeah totally totally you could really tell that he the music that he was writing around that time really meant a lot to him personally yeah. like he was really well, he that with his dad didn't he uh, yeah. like donnell 
Nelson was involved in co-writing the ladder. Yes, yes. He actually has a co-writing credit on Around the World in a Day as well. As well, yes. I'm not yeah. exactly sure what his contribution was for this song, but he does have credit, co-credit, with David mm. Coleman as well. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like the first couple of verses of this song really try to paint a picture of like, you know, you're going to take a trip. second verse he mentions loneliness already knows you there ain't no reason to stay come here and take my hand i'll show you i think i know a better way y'all and so the loneliness line kind of gives me the idea that he's trying to reach out to people who are you know sad or depressed or not happy in their Mm. day-to-day life in the real world um, the world that they're living in now and it already knows you. There's no reason to stay here. There's no reason to stick around and keep feeling this sadness. I'm going to show you something else. And and maybe, once again, we kind of are implying that this something else might be like a spiritual awakening. Something else is Paisley Park, right? Yeah, the concept right. of Paisley Park. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like, this album, that's why I kind of mentioned this album feels like a concept album because... The, the way the flows because Paisley Park is the next track on the record mm. and what we're talking about what he wants us where he wants to take us here on this on this song because the, once again the concept is taking a trip going somewhere getting away from something that we're unhappy that's causing us unhappiness and yes. going to a place where things are better and the next song then is Paisley Park and that's the song where he talks about this is where people go, you know, when when you're when you're not feeling good, when you're having admission is easy. Just say you believe and come to this place in your heart. Yes, yes, exactly. And the chorus of the song is really quite basic. It's just a repeat of the of the title around the world in a day. And that's repeated a couple times. And that's really all the chorus is. And there's this there's this bridge then after the second verse, and he brings up this uh, this word that he uses more than once when he mentions the word babies. All the babies sing, and then later on in the in the song he'll say, "All the little babies sing around the world." I mean, I don't know. I do. You, do you think? Do you have any theories about why he decided <laughs> to use the word babies in the song? Uh, I honestly don't. To be honest with you, Jason, um, um, I'm just thinking that maybe the reference to babies is just taking people back to to a state of innocence. Maybe. Yeah, it could be. Where, uh, where, where you know, it's not it's not about being naive. It's just about just undoing everything that that you've you've encountered, which is why you're here in the first place. Because you know, if you want to go on this trip. You want to strip through all the bad things in your life, and you want to get, find that innocence again, and then then babies represent innocence. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I didn't really have much in the way of theories myself, so you know, it's it's not it's not something that he brings up multiple times in songs on this album. So I think it's just kind of like a a thing he did for this song and. Not really done again. I was just curious if you had any thoughts behind it because it's yeah, it's, that, that's as far as I can go. I'm afraid it sounds good though. <laughs> it does, it does, yeah, yeah. And then it just suddenly gets really funky, doesn't it? Yeah, right. And then, well, before it gets funky though, then you've got this. Uh, I never really knew this was being said, but in this bridge, after he sings, you know, all the babies sing, and then there's this ooh la la. And then you've got in the background, you've got the chorus of, of individuals who I'm guessing are like the Revolution, Susanna, mm-hmm. you know, David and Jonathan. You hear no shouting. No shouting. 
yeah. no shouting. And and I thought that was interesting as well because that's seemingly coming out of nowhere too because he doesn't mention anything about, you know, noise or, I don't know, like what is, why no shouting? Is no shouting because it, it disrupts the peace, the peaceful transcendence that you're supposed to be kind of experiencing through this trip? Maybe? I don't know. Possibly. And also the instrumentation is very Eastern at this point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially uh, towards the end of it as well, it's like um, it's uh, it, it's kind of very East Asian, almost Chinese or Japanese, in in terms of the instrumentation as well. Yeah, and it's all kind of builds up then to the part where, for the first time maybe in the entire song, you get a little hint of the old Prince, the old Prince mm. sound when it starts to get funky. Like I mean. It, it really like he decides to start getting funky here and it starts keeps building though because now his voice is starting to escalate like he sings this next verse in a different tone than he was singing the first couple of verses But then in the third verse, when he says, the little one will escort you to places within your mind. The former is red, white, and blue. The latter is purple. Come on and climb. He sings those lines a lot with a lot more, I would say, passion, I guess. That's a feature of a lot of Prince tracks, isn't it? That, that last verse is where he kind of goes mad. And he really lets it flow. But but in this case, yeah, th- this is l- like I think you know this is an intro to the album. This is an intro to Paisley Park and Condition of the Heart and uh, and the Ladder and all the other uh, Tambourine and all the other songs. Uh, and like you say, Jason, it's it's absolutely a concept album, isn't it? And so, yeah, and and he he's just stepping it up. And then the way it leads into Paisley Park, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm a huge Paisley Park fan, so it just works really well. I find it amusing, though, that he refers to himself as the little one. <laughs> <laughs> He's always had that, though, hasn't he? There's this like, there's this tongue-in-cheek thing about you know people who don't understand Prince think he's he's arrogant and he's showing off, but actually. People like you and I, and hopefully people who listen to this podcast, who are who who know Prince, who've listened to his music, know that a lot of this stuff is not serious. You know, he's he's got this amazing sense of humor. As we say in England, he takes the piss out of himself. Yes, even when he's singing a song with some seriousness to it, like you get the impression this is a serious song up to this point. But even then, he like like you mentioned, he likes to insert some sort of humor, even if you don't really catch it right away. Because I will admit, verse three, some of the lines are difficult to understand because of the music behind it and the way he's singing them. And it totally makes sense because, once again, we, you know, his Prince's height has never been something that was a big secret. So everybody knows that he's a short man. So to refer to himself as the little one will escort you. And it, and it makes sense because this whole song, he's talking about wanting to lead us somewhere. So it's places within your mind. Once again, we've got the whole concept of, you know, a higher, a higher consciousness. Um, yeah. And, and going somewhere in the mind and not of your body, taking, taking your mind and heart to different places. And the former is red, white, and blue. So we're getting a kind of a, a reference, yeah, that, I'm assuming, that, to the... That's a really line isn't it yeah i get i get references to just like the american flag red white and blue yeah that, uh, that leads into america later in the yes. album doesn't it yes right so there are there are multiple ties to different songs on this album within the lyrics to this opening song uh and which is you know if you're not really paying attention you know, might not catch it but there's multiple mm-hmm. references to future songs on the record in this song 
And then the final line of this verse, the ladder is purple, come on and climb. So you got another reference to the ladder, taking the ladder, which is the which is basically the theme in the of the concept album of Around the World in a Day, besides maybe Paisley Park, is this ladder concept. This is why I think it's one of the cleverest Prince albums ever. Because like you say, it is it is like a concept album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, but very much it so. It avoids the overindulgence of those stupid seventies concept albums that people <laughs> like Led Zeppelin used to do. Yeah, it's yeah. it's still tight. All the songs are not eighteen minutes long. And especially coming off the back, like we said, coming off the back of Purple Rain. It, it's actually remarkable. Yeah, the the concept behind this I'm I'm assuming that kind of like as I mentioned, the concepts were in his head, like where he wanted to go next, and maybe he was struggling to find a musical direction for it uh, in some ways. And Around the World in a Day gave him like that vision, the music in this. Like I really want to keep exploring the sounds that this particular song invokes, and and it matches completely. The sound of the song matches the lyrics completely. Like this, the lyrics are don't wouldn't really seemingly fit on a big bombastic rock song. I don't think because the the lyrics <laughs> no, are, no are much more they're much more um, uh, philosophical, I guess. Yeah, yeah, philosophical and. Um, the other word I'd use is maybe Jason. Um, introspective yes yes and i think the music matches those those ideas and those um concepts much more than like a a big rock song or even a a really like synthetic funk song like he was making around 1999 era i don't think that kind of music would have matched the lyrics to the song either no, so, it wouldn't match Let's Pretend We're Married, would it? No, not exactly. <laughs> so one other thing I wanted to um, bring up in after the next after the third verse is this is where then also that he has that musical break. It's after he says what I think he says, at least. Say, Papa, I think I want to dance. know what part I'm talking about? That's what I think he says as well. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I do agree that Papa is what I hear as well. And knowing that John L. had some piece in the writing of the song, because mm. he was given credit, I, I guess I have to assume that that's what he's saying and he's potentially referring to his dad. I don't know. That's my theory as well, actually. You know, going back to that conversation we had a few minutes earlier about John L. Nelson being involved in this album, um, yeah. that surely has to be it. And and I, I've I, I know some people say it's Doctor, but I've always heard it as Papa. Oh yeah, like I I listened multiple times in preparation for this to hear, I think between you and me, Jason. We've probably <laughs> heard this song hundreds of times right <laughs> right yeah <laughs> papa is what i hear as well so i think we'll just kind yeah. of stick with that and then move on from there but yeah this is where the song has that this is like probably three quarters to almost even more along in the song and and that's when you finally get like this tr- more traditional prince yes musical aspect to it Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get that funky bass line, don't you? Yeah, and it... you get the funky bass line. You get the print. You get the Prince screams that you know, or whoops, they're more like a whoop that he has here, mm-hmm. and that's what I was like. Okay, that's Prince. That's the Prince I know, and so it's almost like he puts that in there as a way to just appease some of his maybe newer fans or people who aren't completely on board with this new concept. It's like, I'm wanting to hear the Prince that I know. Possibly. All right, I'll give, I'll give it to you. Possibly. I, or, or it's just like, uh, I don't know, I always saw it as a reference to, like, I'm doing something completely different, but here I am anyway, okay? Here's a little bit. 
And then prepare yourself for the rest of the album. Yeah, he's not losing himself completely in this new musical direction. He's still Prince at the end of the day. And there's still going to be some funk, you know? I mean, that's just what he does. (laughs) That's just what he does. Um, Another kind of interesting part about this song that I really never explored until I started diving in for this podcast is, is the outro. Do you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting thing because it's starting, it's really low in the mix because it's already after the song is fading out. And unless you're really listening to it closely, these lines don't register at all. At least they didn't for me. And so what I get out of it is a government of love and music, boundless in its unifying power, a nation of alms, the production, sharing ideas, a shower of flowers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that's broadly where where I see it as well. So what do you what are you getting out of that? I mean, what uh, are, what do you think he's <laughs> trying to do there? It, I it's part of this whole this song is not just a song. It's not just an opening track, is it? It's no. a manifesto for what Prince believes the world should be and what music should be about. And and this is just him spelling it out, I think, before it leads into the rest of the album. Yeah, it's exactly how I get from it. It's a manifesto, but it's interesting that he, that even though it comes across like that, because he's basically, it's like a mission statement, like somebody wrote it down. Yeah. Like how do we want to describe, it's like he had a, Prince and the Revolution had like a, a retreat where they had to come up with two lines mission statement that describes the, the new direction <laughs> of the band and the music that's what they came up with yeah <laughs> it's it's a government of love and music boundless in its unifying power okay so that's you kind of get like he wants to use the concepts of love and music to unite people um and then the nation of alms production sharing ideas a shower of flowers so the sharing of ideas Mm-hmm. Is just like the idea, like he always talked about Paisley Park as being that a place where people can come together and and share th- music, share ideas, share themselves with each other. And I, you know, I yeah. use the word safe space, but that's what Paisley Park was meant to be—a safe space to to do that, to be yourself and and um, learn from each other as well. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. the shower of flowers is just going back to where he kind of was at that time. Like you'd related the story about how when playing this album for record executives during a very kind of private listening party, they were tossing flowers off out into the crowd. And I think there was a lot of uh, flowers on the floor. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what I read at least. So there was this idea of flowers as being like this, this symbol that was being thrown around literally yeah, yeah. which was um which was still being u- being used um during the purple rain era as well remember uh, remember oh, yeah. prince like turning up to the oscars hold clutching that rose or whatever it was but he had a flower and then during the purple rain tour wendy and lisa used to throw flowers into the crowd yeah. as well so that yeah. that's this is just building upon that yeah yeah it's not brand new for him this has been it's been there for a couple of years it's just uh it's just interesting, I think, because there's also tied to the the old phrase flower power that was kind of mm-hmm. um, it was used as like a hippie statement, a yeah. hippie manifesto. Yeah. Uh, and in, in Prince's history with hippies in the traditional 60s sense wasn't always positive. Like he had felt like he had some disdain for their ideas. And I owe, and I and I go back. I hearken back to the line from "All the Critics Love You in New York," where he says, "Like, look up all your hippies. You ain't yes, you ain't, yeah, you sharp as me. It ain't ain't about the tripping, but the sexuality. Turn it up. Yeah. So it was almost like he's saying, you know, stop with the drug use to get off, you know, to get high. Yeah. I'm using sexuality now as the new drug. <laughs> and so, but he's taking a lot of the. Even though he seemed to have some disdain and for the old ways of thinking of hippies from his previous generation, he still must have liked or thought that there was value in some of the concepts. He's definitely taken a lot of reference points from that whole kind of, you know, that hate Asbury thing 
with yeah. flowers and 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 just the clothes that they wore, the Jimi Hendrix references. So so you know, uh, okay, maybe maybe there was he had an issue with the drug taking or the acid or whatever. But actually, a lot of what he did, especially around around the world in the day in Purple Rain. And and 1999, obviously, with all the critics love you, New York, is is massively inspired by by that whole old school hippie mo- movement. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, he is. It's pretty pretty clear, I think. And this song for me is it's it's not my favorite song on the album, but it's a great opening track to to give the listener an idea of the concepts and and. Yes and theories that are going to be expanded upon through future tracks. It sets the tone, you know, kind of like you're not going to get a Purple Rain 2 right off the bat. And that's okay. He wants us to go on a trip with him. And the trip is this album, really. Is how yeah. what I get from it. Around like, the world in a day. I, I it's, a agree. It's, it's an intro. And likewise, I think it's a great track. But I don't think it's by any means the best song on the album you know like like pretty much every other song on the album is probably better I, I, i've never been a huge fan of condition of the heart but pretty much every other song on the album is 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 probably better than this i think you know like tambourine where he's playing the drums that's just an incredible track yeah <laughs> america is an amazing track um we've talked about the other ones before my favorite track is the ladder uh, uh, and um, Temptation is mad as well. It's just like a completely insane track. Um, but this, like you say, Jason, just sets the tone for what is about to unfold, which is something that is entirely different from Purple Rain or 1999 or Controversy or Dirty Mind. It's something that probably a lot of people did not expect when they bought the latest Prince album. But it's Prince being Prince and just being unpredictable and zigging and zagging and swerving away from what people expect him to be. And that's what makes him one of the greatest artists ever. Yeah, I mean, here we are talking about this album 35 years later, and it's not (laughs) because it's Purple Rain 2. We're talking about it because it is completely its own unique thing and what ended up what we ended up getting was a very creative interesting concept album that was so different than what had just come out nine months earlier and i still can't get past that (laughs) that just would never happen in 2020 it just would never happen no couldn't have something that big and then flip it around nine months later and just go a completely different direction. The record companies wouldn't allow it. Um, you know, there'd be so many people, uh, management, artist management, and that would really discourage doing what Prince did here in 1985 by releasing this album. And I, I'm, I'm very thankful because now, 35 years later, you know, the whole concept of, or the whole uh, release cycle and, and, touring none of that matters anymore because it's so far in the past so all we're left with is the music and we're left with a ton of music because prince decided to to ignore a lot of the more traditional ways of of dealing with um success you know he, he ignored it and he went his own down his own path and what we're left with is an album that i'm really excited to talk about the album, Around the World in a Day has some really great lyrics, and this is just the start, and I'm thrilled to, to be able to do this album. Uh, uh, this is one of my favorite Prince albums. Um, like you say, it's such, such an act of artistic bravery to create something like this, especially after coming off the back of, you know, everyone expecting him to be the next Michael Jackson and if they weren't expecting him that, they were expecting some kind of like uh, rock-based album like Purple Rain. And he just he just put it into reverse gear and he didn't care. And there was this level of creativity after this where, you know, Parade and then Sign of the Times and then the Black Album, et cetera, et cetera. You know, he was on a roll 
and he was almost the most untouchable artist in the world at this point. And to listen to this album and to listen to this track is just, like you say, 35 years ago, and I can't believe it's 35 years ago. <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 is, um, it is stunning. And I, I doubt we, this will ever be matched by any artist ever again. Well said. All right, Farouk, we have come to the end of the song, end of the lyrics. Did you have any final thoughts? I feel like you've pretty well summarized, but I want to give you an opportunity to say anything else about the song if you want, if you so chose to. I think I've probably said, Jason, what, what, what I needed to say. Um, the only thing I would say was just when I first listened to the song, when it came out, I was surprised and the level of surprise was something that led me to to like absolutely adore Prince as an artist because I realized he was doing stuff that no one else had the guts to do. He was he was changing tack. He was playing with different genres. He was experimenting with different instruments. He he didn't care you know, because he was so self-confident. And I think that's the main reason why we all love Prince, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I do. I love the fact that he never got boring. You know, I mean, right. you, it's impossible to be bored of the directions that the man took with his music. And this is a perfect example of that. So that's that's around the world in a day. I don't have any final thoughts either. I think we kind of covered everything um, that I wanted to talk about with the song, any kind of interesting lyrical directions he took and some of the concepts, you know, we, we really kind of explained how they're going to be even further addressed in future songs, which I, I really like that tie in. So thank you, Farouk, for joining me again. Jason, it's always a pleasure. For, for myself, you can get a hold of me at PressRewind75 on Twitter, Instagram. I have a Facebook page as well. And uh, if you listen to the podcast on using Apple Podcasts, I would like it if you would subscribe and rate just to let me know how you think the show is doing and, and give me constructive feedback. I really appreciate that. And you can always message me anytime if you have any additional thoughts about this song, any other meanings inspirations that Prince might have had for this particular track, or if you knew exactly what John L. Nelson's contributions were that led him to um, getting a co-writing credit. <laughs> I'm going to always be interested in that as well. So thanks, Farouk, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.